Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. have a game today. They're a one seed in this bracket. Taking on a nine to see the slugging 1990 Oakland A's featuring Conseco and McGuire coming here to Shea. Josh Lewin with you. Thank you so much for dropping in and if you need a quick refresher on what it is we do here, the Throwback League is all about nostalgia. It's a March Madness style bracket, World Series winners and a few losers too between 1974 and 2006. We throw them in a the blender, we seed all the teams, we play it out, we're gonna have a winner at the end. Fascinating matchup of two teams today that dominated the sport in 1986 and 1990 respectively. One of them won a World Series, one of them didn't. Both of them beat the Boston Red Sox at some point in October. And for the Mets, it wasn't just beating the Red Sox in seven, they had work to do before that as our pregame analyst helps us recall. Here is longtime Sunday night baseball voice, Hall of Famer John Miller. We all remember the Mets winning that World Series and thinking, what a team, how could they not win it? But they, they almost didn't. But people tend to forget that they almost didn't get past the Houston Astros. And what a team that was. Nolan Ryan and Mike Scott. Mike Scott was the pitcher in uh, the National League that year. And... Uh, uh, but ultimately, they, they got past uh, Houston, and then they just got past the Red Sox. For a great team to have two amazing battles like that, uh, it, it underscored that there was some uh, there were some really good teams in the game that year. Uh, but the Mets could have Dwight Gooden one day, uh, Ron Darling another day. Uh, great defense in the infield with uh, Keith Hernandez, the first baseman, being the, sort of the, the captain. Uh, one of the great defensive first basemen of all time. People think of him now, what a great broadcaster he is, and he truly is. But uh, he was the guy who ran the show, I think, not just in the clubhouse, but during the games. He's the guy who went to the mound. He's the guy who put on the plays, the bunt defenses, uh, the, whether they're going to do the, 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 the wheel play on a bunt, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so for me... Not Daryl Strawberry or Dwight Gooden, who were the, the big stars, but Keith Hernandez, uh, to me, is the guy who was the, uh, the backbone of that team. Thanks, John. And yeah, Keith, who, like John Miller, is from that Northern California Bay Area originally. Keith grew up near Berkeley, not too far at all from these 1990 A's he's going to face here at Shade today. So much meat on the bone regarding these 86 Metropolitans, but let's begin, as we always do, with the visitors. Tony LaRusse's athletics are here as a nine seed, taking on the one seed 86 Mets of Davey Johnson. So here you go. 1990 music to set the scene for an Oakland team that had 103 wins and a supposed express lane to a second straight World Series title. But a funny thing happened on their way to the winner's circle. They careened off of a uh, Jose Rijo speed bump. They went right into a wall in Cincinnati. They couldn't get out Billy Hatcher. They couldn't score runs. They got swept by the underdog Reds. Getting to the World Series for them was easy, maybe too easy. They had swept the Red Sox and had to cool their jets waiting for the Reds to advance. 
Hatcher went 9 for 12, scored six runs all by himself, which is almost as many runs as the A's scored as a team that entire series. Canseco and McGuire were 4 for 26. Not a lot of bashing from those brothers. But back to Jose Rijo, who won two of those four games against his former team. He still holds the A's record for most strikeouts in one nine-inning game. He had 16 against Seattle in 1986, by the way. He had a 15 against him that year, too. Now, in fairness, four A's pitchers do have more strikeouts in a game than 16, but all those came in extra innings, going all the way back to guys like Jack Coombs, who had uh, 18 strikeouts, one of them in 18 innings, one of them in 24 innings. Rube Waddell had a 17-strikeout game, but that was extra innings. Vita Blue, same thing. Anyway, the, the A's would give up on Jose Rijo way too soon. They traded him to the Reds after the 87 season for Dave Parker, and Rijo emerged as a star in Cincinnati. Went 87 and 53, 2.60 all right the next seven seasons, but his two highs for strikeouts always remain. Those two starts against Seattle for Oakland early in 86. As for 1990, it's enough Jose Rijo talk for A's fans, I'm sure. Elsewhere in baseball that season, Jim Palmer and Joe Morgan went into the Hall of Fame. Sandy Alomar Jr. and Dave Justice were Rookies of the Year. That was the season Cecil Fielder came back from overseas at the 51 home runs. Bobby Thigpen, 57 saves for the White Sox. Some of those games broadcast on Saturday afternoon, Game of the Week. CBS had the rights with Jack Buck and Tim McCarver missing Mets games to go do that. Dick Stockton and Jim Cott were the other announcers. 1990 pop culture. Robin Fabrice, better known as Millie Vanilli, will have to return their Best New Artist Grammy because turns out they didn't actually sing on their hit album. But Stevie Ray Vaughan stopped singing entirely, sadly, in 1990 because he died in an airplane crash. Jim Henson of Muppets fame died way too early in 1990. Some more positive pop culture news. The movies, Home Alone, Dances with Wolves, Pretty Woman, Hunt for Red October, Total Recall, Dick Tracy, Kindergarten Cop. While on TV, we watched uh, Cheers and Roseanne and Cosby and spun off a different world. Murphy Brown was on there. The Golden Girls, of course, and uh, Designing Women. On the radio, there were songs that made you want to dance a little bit, I guess. Vogue by Madonna, Step by Step from New Kids on the Block. Your Super Bowl champions were the Niners that year. The Pistons won in the NBA. The Edmonton Oilers were your Stanley Cup champions. Your NCAA basketball champions, well, Tark the Sharks, UNLV, Running Rebels, torched Duke by 30. Back to baseball. Here are the players on the lineup card for Tony La Russa's Oakland A's. Carney Lansford leads off. He's at third. Walt Weiss follows it short. Ricky Henderson's in left. Jose Canseco in right. Mark McGuire, the young first baseman. Dave Henderson in center. Terry Steinbach's the catcher. Mike Gallego at second. Bob Welch will be on the mound. 27-game winner who developed a fork ball a couple of years ago. He'll be on the mound here at Shea against a future Oakland A, Ron Darling. We'll get to Ronnie in just a moment. The Mets, a team of darlings here in Flushing, Queens. Everybody loves them locally, but nationally, oh, man, that swagger could cheese some people off. Fans, players, radio station DJs, everyone loves to hate them outside New York. Like the song said, though, they, they have the teamwork to make the dream work. And, and it wasn't just this amazing song for the Amazons this year for a soundtrack. Oh, no. George Foster decided that since the Chicago Bears Super Bowl shuffle had been so successful the year before, there should probably be a little Mets rap recorded as the season got going. And even though Foster himself would get going later in the season, right off the ball club, I think that was pretty much sealed when he failed to leave the dugout to join the brawl between the Mets and Reds in July. Ray Knight and Eric Davis, if you remember. But this little slice of musical nonsense will live forever in Major League Infamy. Get mesmerized, get mesmerized. I'm George Foster. I love this team. The Mets are better than the Red Machine. I live to play, and that's my thing. This year we're gonna win the series ring. Play together, a team's real tight. A mess with us, we're dynamite. Strawman Daryl is all the same. 
Call him Barry. What's in a name? Thank you, George. You're a classy guy with your black back. You know we sure rely. You know California is where I'm from. But for New York, I hit home runs. Power and speed, you know we got. We're the beast of the east. When you're hot, you're hot. When Dwight is in the groove, there's no doubt. Next word you'll hear, three strikes you're out. All right, I, I can't in good conscience let this play the rest of the way through, because once Tim Tuffle starts rapping, you're going to want to move to Canada, swear to God. So instead, Jane Jarvis at the Shea Stadium, Oregon. Let's reminisce about 86, and we'll put it this way. July 3rd, there was a magic number watch. They started counting down on the papers at 83 for a magic number when the Mets rallied that night to beat Houston on an extra inning home run by Daryl Strawberry. They got one from Ray Knight as well. The Mets would win the division by more than 20 games. They outscored their opponents by 206. The next four most winning teams in baseball combined to score their opponents by 206. And as Satchel Paige used to say, if you can do it, it ain't bragging. So even though the rest of the country might have resented the Mets' arrogance and boastfulness, boy, they backed it up right till the end. On to an amazing NLCS against the Astros and a former Met in Nolan Ryan. The Mets were supposed to have home field advantage in that series. That classic game six really should have been in Shea, but a Houston Oilers-Chicago Bears game got in the way, and the hometown thing was jostled around to make it work. The ALCS that year, of course, had its epic game five at virtually the same time, within 19 hours of that classic Mets, extra, uh, Mets and Astros game. The stat was later revealed that never before in the then 83-year history of postseason baseball, no team had ever trailed by three in the ninth inning and won. 648 games, it had never happened then. It happened twice in 19 hours. Mets getting it done, they beat the Astros in game six avoided having to face their nemesis, Mike Scott, in Game 7. And they did have a famous Game 7 of the World Series, of course, broadcast by NBC. Uh, game 6 also broadcast, of course, by Vin Scully and NBC. That game ran so long that NBC decided not to air Saturday Night Live. And when it was shown for the first time two weeks later, that episode that never ran, Ron Darling filmed a special introduction. He apologized on behalf of the Mets for having preempted SNL. Speaking of pop culture, as we love to do here at the Throwback League, Aerosmith and Run DMC were mixing rock and hip-hop with Walk This Way, but Ron Darling, who sometimes walked too many, will we'll get away from you here on that. How about when uh, the two guys attacked Dan Rather in New York uh, while repeating, Kenneth, what is the frequency? Something R.E.M. eventually turned into a, a song. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Peter Gabriel had the stop-motion music video for Sledgehammer. That certainly raised the bar for video production in the mid-'80s. Camcorders became available, and available, of course, at Crazy Eddie in New York, where his prices, as you may recall, were insane. Top Gun, number one at the box office. Outburst and Balderdash were the hot new party games. The Stephen King book that summer was It. Phantom of the Opera made its New York City debut in October. Growing Pains and Who's the Boss were big on TV, which means so were Alan Thicke and Tony Danza. On the radio, Phil Collins and Genesis seemed to have the invisible touch. Yeah. Uh, Simply Red was holding back the years. Cindy Lauper showed you her true colors. And Billy Ocean noted there will be sad songs to make you cry. By the way, in 86, Madonna and Cindy Lauper were pretty much neck and neck for popularity. One would surge ahead of the other before too long. Kind of like how the Mets had Ray Ordonez and the Yankees had Derek Jeter neck and neck for one summer one time. One indeed would surge beyond the other. Anyway, be that as it may, the 86 Mets with their wild boys to the top of the lineup. Lenny Dykstra in center, Wally Backman at second. Keith Hernandez at first, Gary Carter is the catcher. Daryl Strawberry bats fifth, he's in right. The Strawberry patch patrolled in right field. Mookie Wilson in left, Ray Knight at third. The light-hitting shortstop, Rafael Santana, and then Ron Darling pitching and batting number nine. Ronnie Darling, 25 years old, 15-6 and six with a 2.81 ERA. These Oakland players, by the way, in this lineup, I looked it up, one for 33 lifetime against the Hawaiian-born right-hander. Darling started three times in the 86 World Series. He won game four in his, uh, well, basically his hometown of Boston. He grew up 
about an hour from there. I mentioned he was born in Hawaii, but he counts Worcester, Mass. as home. Great athlete. Usually throws to the bases very, very perfectly. Uh, one of the best right-handed pickoff moves of all time, probably, and part of a great rotation assembled by the GM, Frank Cash. Doc Gooden, 17 wins. Sid Fernandez, 16. Rick Aguilera had 10. The somewhat surprising leader in wins was Bobby Ojeda. He had 18 of them. Toss in another 14 from Roger McDowell out of the bullpen, eight more from the, the lefty bullpen man, Jesse Orozco, whose glove was tossed high in the air once the Mets secured that World Series crown. All right, we are good to go here at Shea. Carney Lansford steps in for Oakland, 33-year-old leadoff hitter. 268 batter this year, only three home runs. Rookie Henderson would be a better leadoff choice, but he's got too much thump in his bat right now. He's hitting third. And the pitch to the veteran right-handers outside. It's 1-0. Oakland in gray uniforms with dark green, bright yellow trim. Dark green hats with A's across the front. Yellow bills on those hats. The Mets in their home white pinstripes trimmed in blue and orange. Here's the pitch from Darling. It is low with a fork ball 2-0. What a great rotation we mentioned. You've got Ojeda and Darling and Gooden finishing top five in the National League and top eight in the majors in ERA. Got a fourth pitcher in here, Sid Fernandez, who is an all-star. Combined numbers of Met starters, how about 78 and 33 with a 3.16? That makes a run at the, the 69 rotation that they had. Mets defensively, defensively, with Dykstra out there in center, flanked by Strawberry and Wilson in right and left. Ray Knight is at third, Santana's at short, Backman at second. Keith Hernandez is over there at first. Gary Carter is the catcher. Now the pitch. That's bunted, and it's right in between home plate and the mound. Darling colliding here and cannot get a throw away. He and Carter came together. A bobble from Ron Darling. They're going to call that a fielding error on Ron Darling. Wow, a guy that made only 37 errors ever in a 13-year big league career. 30 of those on wayward throws. He had one drop of a ball covering at first ever. Only six of what we just now witnessed, the failure to field the ball cleanly. Maybe most famously, couldn't field a comebacker from Vince Coleman in St. Louis in a must-have game September of 87. Busted up his finger on that one, lost a no-hitter. This one here, a simple bobble as he tried to get out of the way of Gary Carter, Lansford running. So Lansford is on, and here is Walt Weiss, 265 hitter, who grew up not too far from here in Tuxedo, New York. He swings and pounds one foul down the third base line, nothing in one. Third base coach is Bud Harrelson. Bud was always such a heads-up player. Like Walt Weiss, not a lot of power. In fact, seven career home runs for Bud Harrelson. Part of what Casey Stengel would call the youth of America. Out of San Francisco State was Bud Harrelson. They gained some weight eventually, became a switch hitter on the fly, made a nice little career for himself. Pitch to the switch hitting Weiss, another foul, this one heading off towards the third base grandstand this time. Grabbed by a mustached fan in a cutoff white t-shirt, denim shorts, white tube socks with red rings around them. Darling ahead 0-2. He cuts a bit more of an imposing figure than what we just described. Long, dark hair, the Hawaiian good looks that the ladies seem to love. Like Bob Welch, good fork ball, which he'll turn into a splitter in 87. And eventually he'll take all that to these Oakland A's, pitching for them in 91 and 92. 92 is when he had his only two complete game two-hit shutouts of his entire career. Here's the 0-2 coming. Swing and a grounder towards second base. Backman's got it. On to Santana for one. Whipped over to first. It's not in time. They get one instead of two. Ball was hit a little too slowly on the Shea Stadium infield. And Backman coming in a step to grab it. Probably needed to come in a little quicker if he was going to turn the 4-6-3. So it's one on, one out. Weiss is running instead of Lansford. Here comes Ricky Henderson. Who will play a bit for these Mets himself down the road. 325 hitter this year at 31 years old. Right-hander in that tight gray uniform taking low. It's ball one. Well, the modern-day A's are now playing at Ricky Henderson Field at Oakland Coliseum. Sandy Alderson, future Mets GM, was the young lawyer who had to negotiate Ricky Henderson's contract 
back in 82 and 83. Now Sandy is back working for the A's as a special assistant to Billy Bean, who's got a Mets connection himself. Pitch to Henderson, called strike on the inside corner, one and one. Uh, Sandy Alderson's core beliefs about baseball really became Billy Beans when you think it all the way through. You start with the precept that it's not smart to swing at bad pitches. We learned about that in Moneyball, right? Force a pitcher to come at you on your terms. Attack a hittable pitch after working the count. That's better than flailing away at anything that comes up there. Basically, Earl Weaver had it right. Right, high on base percentage and hit one out of the ballpark. Batting average, bunting, hit and run, those things are overrated. As Darling's pitch fades outside, 2-1 to Henderson. No score in the top of the first. Outfield a step around to left against Ricky Henderson. As Darling winds, and this one misses outside. Three balls and a strike. We were just talking about Billy Bean. He was the Mets' first-round pick in 1980. And when the Mets were trying to sign him after they drafted him, the Mets arranged for him to take batting practice with the big league team when they passed through Billy's hometown of San Diego. Billy Bean remembers the kindness of the Mets manager that day, a guy by the name of Joe Torrey. One on, one out. And the pitch, that is wrapped in a left field base hit. Beyond the reach of Santana, White stops at second. It's gonna be two on, one out. And the Mets happy to have it first and second instead of first and third because Ricky Henderson would be poised to steal second base. Ricky stole more bases before his 25th birthday than any active player now has achieved his entire career. Here's the Cuban-born slugger Jose Canseco, 274 hitter, 37 home runs this year. He's got those Popeye forearms, a huge chest. 40-40 man a couple years ago in 88. Here in 1990, it's down to 26 steals, but still hitting those rocket ship home runs. And he takes a strike with a fastball from Darling. No balls, one strike. Jose Canseco eventually will spend some time here in New York as a Yankee. That was the year 2000 when he was also a Tampa Bay Devil Ray. Canseco will end his career in Chicago with the White Sox in 01. What a landing pad that is for aging sluggers, the Chicago White Sox. Here's a pitch from Darling. Swing, it's blooped in the left center. It's going to drop in front of Mookie Wilson. In comes a run for Oakland. It is one to nothing. Walt White scores without a throw. Ricky Henderson has to stop at second base. That ball was just right in front of Mookie Wilson as he darted a bit towards center. And Mookie and Ricky kind of stared each other down there, but Ricky content to... Stay put at second base with the A's on top here, 1-0. Mark McGuire coming up. This could be a big inning all of a sudden because McGuire, obviously, 39 home runs. Low batting average, 235. But, boy, he's had some batting practice at Shea here that, uh, let's just say, has been impressive. Moonshot home runs over that left field foul pole. The orange foul poles here at Shea. Pitch on the way. It's outside. It's 1-0. Shea Stadium over the years has grown in size. When it opened in 64, 55,300 was the, the total we were told that it housed. But once the Mets won their second World Series, they cashed in, brought that to 55,600. Eventually, it'll get all the way to 57,405 before it shuts down. Pitches in the dirt, two balls, no strikes. Darling not having a great time of it here early. Shea originally was supposed to be called Flushing Meadow Park Municipal Stadium. But they wanted something a little bit catchier than that, so they decided to name it in honor of William B. Shea, the man who brought National League Baseball back to New York. And, you know, you, you go back to when this place was really the center of the sports universe in the mid-'70s. You had the Mets, the Yankees, the Jets, and the Giants all calling this place home. Yankee Stadium was being renovated. Giant Stadium still being finished. Pitchers fouled right at the plate here. Two and one the count to McGuire. One nothing Oakland. If McGuire homers, a home run apple will not rise up. That's only for the Mets. That was installed in May of 1980. A symbol of the Mets advertising slogan, the magic is back. 
the apple would rise out of a black magic hat whenever a Mets home run was hit. Doesn't say Mets magic out there anymore. That was replaced with the words home run in big block letters. Here's a pitch from Darling. Blazed in a fastball for a strike at the knees, two and two. A lot of blue and orange here. It's the blue of the Dodgers, the orange of the Giants, the two teams that bamboosed to the West Coast. And you got to love that Mets logo, the church spire representing Brooklyn, the borough of churches. Williamsburg Savings Bank Building, Woolworth Building, got a general clump of Midtown Manhattan, Empire State Building, UN Building, and the bridge on that logo representing the, the bringing together of all five of the boroughs. Pitch to McGuire, that's fouled right at the plate again, two and two. A lot of movement on all this stuff from Darling. Now you got the sign man here, Carl Earnhardt. He had 1,200 foldable signs by 1981 that he made in his garage. He'll, he'll bring about 30 or 40 to each game. I think the best one was when they won the 69 World Series. The sign said there are no words. Rock on the rubber, here's the pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Challenge him with a fastball, down goes McGuire. So the inning will be left to Dave Henderson now. 271 a hitter, 20 home runs. Two men on, and Dave Henderson playing for this 90 A's team. But boy, he played a role in 86 against the Mets as a Boston Red Sox. Pitches fouled down the first baseline, nothing in one. Of course, first of all, in the ALCS, when the Angels had a 5-2 lead going to the ninth inning in game five against Boston, the Red Sox had closed it to 5-4 to on a two-run homer from Don Baylor. Dave Henderson stepped in to face Donnie Moore. Two outs, Rich Gedman on. He'd been hit by a pitch. It was a seven-pitch at bat. Henderson famously drove it out of the yard. It stunned the planet, let alone Orange County. Pitch comes from Darling. Breaking ball strike. Hugs the outside edge. Nothing in two. Of course, the Angels tied that game. 6-6 in the ninth. Game went into extras. And in the 11th, it was Dave Henderson's sack fly that put the Sox ahead. Go on to the World Series in 86. Well, Hendu, 10 for 25. Hit the home run everyone thought would win it in the top of the 10th inning game six. Yada, yada, yada. They did not win. Pitcher swung on and fouled down the right field line, bending out of play. Hendu wearing 42. Originally from Merced, California. 14-year career. A lot of time with the Mariners and the Red Sox, the Giants, the A's. Do you even remember him as a Royal in 1994? Darling, a check of the runners. Here's the two-strike pitch. Called third strike at the knees. He snuck one in there, and Darling gets out of the inning. Two men left, and to the bottom of the first inning we go with the 1990 A's on top one nothing. Let's keep it here in 1990. something you can get into right now here in 2020. May we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. They're in New York now, by the way. Most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. And since 1963, right around the time the Mets began, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. Responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, an experience like no other. And now available for a limited time, Try their new horchata cold brew coffee or world-famous ice blended. 
1-0, Oakland's on top. Bob Welch on the mound, two-time All-Star and this year a Cy Young Award winner, 27-6. Last pitcher to win that many games. In fact, uh, no one since 1990s won even 25. 2.95 ERA, only 127 strikeouts in about 240 innings for the native Detroiter, who did some big things as a Dodger early in his career. And what a terrific staff the A's have in 1990. Dave Stewart, 22 wins, 2.56 ERA, second-best pitcher on the team. Scott Sanderson, 17 wins, ERA in the threes. He's an afterthought. Bullpen is rock solid. Dennis Eckersley, four walks against 73 strikeouts on his way to 48 saves. That's why the A's are just so tough. And this 1990 version leading 1-0 as a lefty Lenny Dykstra steps in for the Mets. 23-year-old hitting 295 this year, eight home runs. He'll eventually get traded away to Philly. Man, the Mets can make some bad trades, huh? Pitch in for a strike, nothing in one. Nolan Ryan of the Angels, December of 71 for Jim Fragosi, who the Mets really thought could play third base. Amos Otis to the Royals in 69 for Joe Foy, who they thought could play third base. Of course, Tom Seaver to the Reds. But Lenny Dykstra and Roger McDowell to the Phillies for not a good year of Juan Samuel in 89. Pitches outside. There's that fork ball from Bob Welch. It's one and one. Lenny Dykstra with that big wad of tobacco in his cheek. He certainly shined in the 86 postseason. One game three of the NLCS with the home run off Dave Smith. He had the leadoff triple in the ninth in game six off Bob Nepper. Sparked that big rally. Let off game three of the World Series with a home run at Fenway. Nails, they call him. And the pitch to him. Hoisted in the air towards center, not deep. Here comes Dave Henderson under it. He's got it, one away. And the switch hitting Wally Backman to the plate. 320 hitter. Splitting time with the right hand hitting Tim Tuffle this year. Just won a home run for Backman. His double play partner, Rafael Santana, also just won a home run. Backman hit his in late September against the Cardinals and Bob Forsh this year. Pretty much won a year exactly for Backman. Four years in a row, exactly one. Only two home runs as a Met ever here at Shea. All the rest of them in a New York uniform on the road in seven years with his franchise. He takes outside from Welch, it's 1-0. One of manager Davey Johnson's favorites, no doubt. Wally Backman is scrappy. Beaverton, Oregon native. And off the bench in the 86 NLCS. Well, he started the, the game three rally with a drag bunt. Knocked in the winner in game six. Eventually gets traded to make room for Greg Jeffries. Here's the kick and the pitch. Swinging a fly ball towards left. Again, not deep. Ricky Henderson in, makes a little snatch catch out there for out number two. So both the Hendersons have made plays for Oakland. You got Ricky and Dave out there. Canseco's in right, by the way. And around the horn, Lansford at third, Weiss is at short. Mike Gallego's at second, Mark McGuire's at first. Terry Steinbach doing the catching. Here is Keith Hernandez now. Lefty hit 310 here in 86. 13 home runs, 83 batted in. A team leading 94 walks against not even 70 strikeouts. In fact, the only Met to strike out more than 72 times this year was Strawberry, who did it 141 times. But Strawberry also led the team in, in homers. Pitches in the dirt, 1-0. Keith Hernandez arrived mid-June of 83, already with a gold glove and an MVP award in tow. And a fascinating part about that lopsided trade, Hernandez for Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. Whitey Herzog and the Cardinals really weren't looking to trade Hernandez. They just really wanted Neil Allen. As a pitch from Welch, sails outside, it's 2-0. Reportedly, that phone call, St. Louis to New York, was not what'll you give me for Keith Hernandez. It was what'll it take to get Neil Allen. And Frank Cashin didn't like the first few options that were discussed. Then Whitey said, how about Keith Hernandez? And the rest is history. Pitch is high, 3-0. and 
to the San Francisco native, Keith Hernandez. He scored the, the tying run in the ninth inning of the famous game six of the NLCS in uh, Houston. Later in that game, made a huge defensive play, going for a force at second base. Very aggressive play. There was a, a subtle difference for the Mets in that 16-inning win. Keith, a very smart player, fantastic defensively, taking here and it's outside, ball four. So the Mets have their first base runner. Trailing one to nothing, here comes Gary Carter. 24 home runs, 105 runs batted in. The only Met with 100 runs batted in this year. Not Strawberry, not Hernandez, but the 32-year-old catcher, Mr. Carter. And the pitch from Welch, that's down the middle for a strike, nothing in one. Oh, he hinted at Keith Hernandez as kind of a missing piece when he came in in 83. I think Gary Carter even more so in 85, coming in from Montreal. Howard Johnson would be brought in, too, from Detroit, became the first Met to hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 in a season. That was a freaky 1985 season. Now that 16, a 13 game, and 19 innings in Atlanta, had a dozen different one nothing games. That's a season that began with the April Fool's joke in Sports Illustrated, written by George Plimpton, the curious case of Sid Finch, who supposedly threw 168 miles an hour. Here's Welch with a fastball at, well, 90 miles an hour. It's outside, one and one. Gary Carter, eventual Hall of Famer, 11-time All-Star. And one of the most memorable tributes I can recall after Gary Carter passed was a line about how the, the Boy Scout in him never faded. That's probably the best way that particular man's life can be summed up. He takes outside here, it's two and one. Durability, never a question. He caught at least 85% of his team's games nine years in a row. He caught more than 2,000 games total in a 19-year career and a great leader. I mean, when, when Gary Carter's behind the plate, there is no question as to who is in charge. Pitch here is ladled low. Breaking ball, three balls and a strike. Keith Hernandez still at first. And, of course, there's that air of positivity with Carter, that engaging personality, the upbeat attitude. All those things very infectious to those with an open mind. Pitch on the way. Outside, ball four. So, Hernandez down to second. Gary Carter takes that number eight on his back with him down to first. That's Gary Carter's lucky number, number eight. His birthday, April 8th. His wedding day, February 8th. He wore that number with charisma and class for a very long time. Here's Daryl Strawberry, 24-year-old left-hand batter, 27 homers this year, also 28 steals. One-time first pick in the nation back in 1980 out of Crenshaw High in L.A. He'd be Rookie of the Year in 83. He's got a big chance here with two men on. And the pitch coming. Swing, high drive, belted towards right field. Canseco is back at the warning track. He'll make the catch. Didn't quite get all of it. Strawberry, boy, he picked one out that he liked, but it just didn't fly up and over. Jose Canseco about two feet shy of the warning track, and Daryl Strawberry is retired. Speaking of Daryl Strawberry, here in 1986, as we go to break, here he is for always delicious, always nutritious, good for you, milk. Hey, New York, get on my health kick. Milk, it's got the power I need for pure energy. Kick. So get on my health kick, let it pour. America's favorite health kick. Get on my health kick, milk's got more. Have more milk, cause milk's got more. Oh, before we move ahead to further action, let's hear from one of these participants. Ron Darling, how would you have approached this killer Oakland lineup? Well, at some point, you know, uh, I knew what everyone else knew, and that uh, somehow you had to keep the Bash brothers and uh, and their other siblings uh, in the ballpark because, uh, you know, they were uh, – they seemed like they were, you know, Rob Gronkowski-like uh, athletes in baseball uniforms, you know, from Conseco and, and McGuire. And, uh, well, McGuire wasn't there to 89, but uh, Conseco. And, and I didn't realize until I got to the team how big uh, – 
Dave Henderson was and, and Carney Lansford and um, how talented Walt Weiss was. They just were they, – they were such an all-around uh, team that uh, – but like today's game, you would have had to keep them in the ballpark, and that was a tough thing to do. one nothing Oakland at the end of one. And let's do that further action thing. Ron Darling will allow a base hit to Terry Steinbach, but nothing more in the top of the second. And Darling will manage to keep the game one nothing into the last of the sixth. Now keep in mind the last of the sixth is when the Mets broke through in game seven of the 86 World Series. They've been trailing three nothing that whole time with Darling having allowed the three. So let's see what's up here as Keith Hernandez leads off against Bob Welch. Mets behind one nothing. Hernandez one for two in this one. Those racing stripes perfectly aligned. Those thick blue and orange stripes. Here's the kick in the pitch. Swing, base hit, right field. Keith Hernandez, line drive. Will be scooped up by Canseco and ushered back in. So, the Mets have the leadoff man on. And here's Gary Carter again. 324 career home runs. Expos, Mets, Giants, Dodgers, and again the Expos. He'll take high here. It's 1-0. Four seasons of at least 100 runs batted in for Gary Carter. Four finishes among the top six in MVP balloting. Three gold gloves in the mix. Twice the All-Star Game MVP. Did that in 81 and 84. Pitch on the way. It's low and outside. Steinbach will throw it to first base. It gets away. Keith Hernandez will head on to second base as it's scooped up down the right field line and played back in by Conseco. Wow, Terry Steinbach tried to catch Hernandez off for first. We talked earlier about Keith's high baseball IQ, and he was back to the bag in plenty of time, not fooled by that quick throw. But it seemed to surprise Mark McGuire. That ball went skimming right by him. That's going to be an error on Steinbach. So the Mets get the tying man to second base here. Down one to nothing as we play in the bottom of the sixth. Now let's see what Gary Carter can do about getting things moved along. Guy that was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame the same year as Eddie Murray. That's kind of weird. That's ironic. Carter had the unbreakable smile, the up with people outlook. Heck, he grew up in a place called Sunny Hills, California. You couldn't make that up. You never got the sense Eddie Murray was from a place called Sunny Hills. Brooding Valley, maybe, if there's such a place. Here's the pitch. Swing fly ball towards center field. Not going to get the job done. Henderson's there. He makes the catch and stares Keith Hernandez back to the bag at second. One out. Now Carter unable to move the runner. That's a disappointing at bat for him. Here is Strawberry now. 0 for 1 with a walk. Hulking, six-foot, six-inch player. What bat speed he has. Future Dodger against former Dodger. Strawberry against Welch. Darrell went after the first pitch back in the first inning. Ended up flying deep to right. Welch comes in, swinging here. That's a fly ball into the alley right center. That'll get to the warning track and bounce against the wall. Keith Hernandez coming around to score. This game is tied. Cruising into second base, Darrell Strawberry. He attacks that first pitch again. This game tied at one. Now Darrell Strawberry had a big banner season in every way. Talked about his charisma. Not always a guy you can count on, but boy, he... He is tough to take your eyes off of, and standing at second base now, he's the go-ahead man. It brings up Mookie Wilson. Switch hitter will bat left, a 289 hitter this year, nine home runs. Of course, he'll always be tied to Bill Buckner here in 86, right? And Bill Buckner, who beat Keith Hernandez for the 1980 batting title by three points. Hernandez undone by a mid-season concussion in 1980 when he collided with Bill Buckner <laughs> in Chicago. That is a true story. Strawberry, big leadoff second. And he's going. The pitch is low. No throw as it's kind of boxed around in the dirt here by Steinbach. That's a straight steal of third for Darrell Strawberry. What a daring play that is in a 1-1 game. But he had that huge secondary lead. Welch did not look at him. 
And Strawberry, who had 28 steals in the regular season, bolted for third. Oh, and Bob Welch will step off now, just trying to get himself together again. You know, a wild pitch or something like that. Fly ball of any depth would get the lead to the Mets at this point. 1-1 tie for now. We're in the bottom of the sixth inning. And the South Carolina native Mookie Wilson ready. Strawberry down the line at third. The pitch coming in. Swing, high drive, deep right field. This ball's going to go. Home run for Mookie Wilson. The Mets take the lead 3-1. to one. Right down the line, and up comes that apple. The New York Mets are ahead of the Oakland A's here in the bottom of the sixth inning. Had you been forced to guess which guy would have actually hit it out, Strawberry or Wilson this inning, I'm sure you would have picked Strawberry. But Strawberry's the guy that had the double in the steal. Mookie Wilson hoists it out to right, and that's going to do it for Bob Welch. He has done at this point, having gone five and a third, seven hits allowed in the three runs, walked two, never did strike out a batter in this game. Rick Honeycutt will come in. And by the way, Rick Honeycutt will go an inning and a third. Gene Nelson will follow after that. The story of this game will be Ron Darling for a while. Ronnie pitching eight full innings, needing 113 pitches. But he'll take a 3-1 lead, or at least the Mets will, into the ninth inning. Ron Darling allowing just the one unearned run on his own error. Two walks, ten strikeouts. He got Carney Lansford twice, Weiss twice, Dave Hernandez and Steinbach twice. Davey Johnson will turn to Roger McDowell here in the top of the ninth inning. It'll be 8-9-1 in the order due up, beginning with Mike Gallego. And we'll see if the Mets can hang on to a 3-1 to one lead. Mike Gallego hitting just 206, And up against McDowell, who allowed only four home runs all year and 120, 128 innings of work. Got that great sinker. And Gallego, only three home runs himself all year. Pitched to him. Hit sharply on the ground right at first. Here's Keith Hernandez. He'll go to the bag. One down right away. Gallego trying to take it the other way. That's understandable, but he scraped it right into the glove of Keith Hernandez. Pitcher's spot is due. Harold Baines is going to come up. Now, he can walk or homer at this stage of his career. Harold Baines reunited with Tony La Russa here with the Oakland A's. And he'll take low for ball one. Baines, the eastern shore of Maryland native, played seven years as an Oriole. Three separate stints there. Six-time All-Star overall. A lot of great years with the White Sox. Very surprisingly to some, a Hall of Famer. As the pitch is down in the dirt now, 2-0 the count. If you want to make the argument for Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame, I mean, when he retired, he ranked seventh all-time in the American League in games played, tenth in runs batted in. He was always a great clutch performer. He takes low again here. Three balls, no strikes. Just laying off those sinkers. Very soft-spoken is Harold Baines. And in 86, this is pretty much where the knee problems began to grind him down. Not a single leg hit the rest of the career for Harold Baines. And he takes it. It's outside. Ball four. We're waiting for him to take that high step with the right leg. The old Mel Ott way back in uh, the very early golden days of baseball. That kind of stance and swing for Baines. It's fun to watch, but he never got to swing. Four straight out of the zone. And 26-year-old Santa Javier will pinch run. Future Mets manager Willie Randolph also available on the bench for Oakland, but it's Javier getting the call. Carney Lansford is the tying man top of the order. Former Angel and Red Sox third baseman was pushed out of Boston with the emergence of Wade Boggs. Javier leading from first in a 3-1 game top of the ninth. And the pitch coming. It's chipped in a left field. Mookie Wilson coming on, coming on, coming on. He makes the catch. Got to go back and retrieve his cap that flew off his head. That is a big out to get right there. Javier goes back to first. And now it's up to Walt Weiss to try to get this thing continued. Two out in the inning. You've got Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, and Mark McGuire to follow if 
Weiss can get on base. And McDowell wearing 42, the winning pitcher in that deciding game seven that we've been talking about in the World Series. Lifetime 70 wins, 70 losses. First pitch coming, swing and a miss, strike one. Walt Weiss up over top of one. Boy, these Mets in 86 involved in so many close games. And that's why despite never starting a game, Roger McDowell has 23 decisions. He's 14 and nine. Fantastic NLCS, seven innings, one hit. Next delivery. Called strike on the outside corner. It's nothing in two. And the fans getting into it now here at Shea. See if Roger McDowell can get this thing done. Walt Weiss the batter. Westchester, New York native. With one on, two out. And the pitch on the way. Strike three call taken at the knees. Sinker that was a bit up, but strike three called. The Mets have hung on and won it here. Ron Darling gets credit for the win. He went eight. Roger McDowell locks it up with the save. Bob Welch, the losing pitcher. Mookie Wilson, the hero, he hit that home run as part of a three-run bottom of the sixth. Three runs, nine hits, one error for the 86 Mets. One, eight, and one for the 1990 A's. The A's are eliminated. The Mets advance. Uh, down the line, they will get the We Are Family 1979 Pirates right here at Shea. How about the sluggers in that one? Mets killer Willie Stargell against Darrell Strawberry. But next week, it'll be a three seed, the 05 White Sox, home against an 11 seed, the 85 Whitey Ball St. Louis Cardinals. That's up next. And if you want to check these box scores, check the brackets, go for it. The throwbackleague.com. That's the website where you can get that done. And we invite you to follow us on Twitter, too, at the throwback LG. This is Josh Lewin, the OG in charge or some such. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, your final here at Shea, the 86 Mets, three, the 1990 A's, one.